Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Visual, interactive, meaningful, productive. Four values underpinning AssetMap, a financial planning platform loved by advisors and their clients. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to yet another episode of the Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Today, I'm fortunate to have Gugu Sadaki with me. Gugu is a financial planner and a certified financial planner based in Johannesburg and runs a company called Wealth Creed. Gugu, it's awesome to have you here. I'm looking forward to having a conversation about your history, how you ended up in financial planning, but please give us a brief intro of who Gugu is and how you got into this industry. So hi, Louis. Um, really awesome to be joining you on this platform. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, I Sure, where do I begin? I'm from Pretoria um, originally, which is a, our capital city here in South Africa. Um, I, I was meant to, to be a policymaker. Um, I decided to study economics for my sins. Uh, but somewhere along the line, the plans changed. Um, I was yeah. introduced to the world of stockbroking okay. by a very exciting movie. Um, you may or may not have, have heard of it or watched it, but it's called Boiler Room. And, um, that's, that's when my, my excitement, um, for the world of, of investment management, um, sort of started. But, um, I did a few random, um, things. I, I joined a, I joined two financial institutions, two banks, um, uh, initially, um, when I started working and, um, just learned the ropes around the South African banking system. I also found my, my way to London at some point. I worked for Citigroup in London, um, in their fixed income division there. Traveled, um, really enjoyed myself. And I think I sort of found myself during that time, made my way back to South Africa. And I landed my, my stockbroking, my dream job as, as a stockbroker. And I, I absolutely loved it. It, it was everything that I thought it would be. But, um, somewhere along the line, the excitement sort of tapered off. And, um, during that time, I, I was introduced to the world of wealth management by my, my then boss. Um, she saw something in me. Um, I think that, that, that I didn't see at the time. And I didn't know much about the industry as well, the wealth management side of things. Um, but I gave it a chance. I joined her business a couple of years later and, and became a junior wealth manager, um, for the business. And I have not looked back since. Um, I decided to study my CFP during that time. And it's, it's been an absolute joy. Um, obviously in the beginning, teething problems, trying to find my feet, being quite young and, and advising older, um, 
clients of the business was a little bit difficult. But um, yeah, that's that's how I was introduced to the world of, of financial planning and financial advisory. Thank you for that, Gugu. Can we maybe touch on that, like starting out as a young financial planner, you know, having to deal with someone that comes to you with their retirement savings? What are the challenges, maybe specifically as a woman, but also as a as a young lady, you know, having to deal with mm. these clients? Like, what are the things that you experienced, mm. and how did you overcome that? It's obviously very difficult because I was I was in my mid twenties at the time, um, advising a a you know, 50, 60 year old individual about retirement, you're obviously not believable. Um, you, you, you don't know. I don't think you have enough, I suppose, what you call life experiences to, to be talking to a client of that age, um, about their retirement and about what retirement is, because it's something that's far removed from, from your personal experience. So it was very challenging. I, I felt like an imposter for the longest of times um, because I was talking to them about theory, you know, stuff that I I, I was studying, stuff that I was reading about in my textbooks and, and, you know, doing calculations for them was all theoretical. But there was no real bond or connection with those clients because firstly, I was brand new in the industry. I knew very little about, um, I didn't have the experience. And, and secondly, I was, I was so young. So it was hard in the beginning. And at the time, um, when, when, I mean, the, the, the business that I was working for at the time to stop working business with a, a wealth management leg to it, the bulk of the clients, um, in that business were male. So th- there was also that added um, layer of complexity as well, and that I was young, female, and inexperienced um, trying to advise older individuals, older males, um, about their, their retirement savings. And it was very, very challenging. I think it's probably one of the hardest things I've had to do right in the beginning. Yeah, that imposter syndrome is something that creeps up so often. I think with all of us, you know, saying, oh, should I be here? Yeah. Am I the right person yeah. to, give, to give advice? Yeah. Indeed. If we um, fast and I think forward, it affects more women than it does men. Yeah, it's it's true. Hey? If you look at the research, I think um, it mm. says that it, it affects both, but definitely um, mm. I think women might just be more aware of it than uh, yeah. <laughs> traditionally male-dominated industry. But slowly but surely, that's starting to change. I want to talk about that yeah. leap that you took to start your own firm because mm. you know not just giving advice, but actually saying, hey, I'm going to do this on my own – um, mm. with with a business partner tell us tell us how that decision happened mm. the, the bulk of the work that I had to do um, in the beginning was was predominantly wealth management as opposed to financial planning so I was meeting clients sort of you know, at their peak, you know, once they'd made their money and they've accumulated um, everything that they have and, and they were a lot older. Um, and so I, I wanted to to get into the financial planning aspect um, of things. That, that, that's the first thing. And secondly, um, as I mentioned earlier, the bulk of the clients that I was I was dealing with were, were older males. And I, I wondered for the longest time what younger women were doing with their money. You know, because those were not the people that I was I was meeting um, at the time, and and co- coincidentally, I, I I met my business partner along the way, along while I was having those conversations with myself, and she and I were speaking about exactly that. She was having similar challenges or similar um, thoughts around you know starting to work with individuals that looked slightly different to the ones that we were dealing with at the time. 
And um, I'd also had my second child. I just had my first and, and, and I was about to have my second child. And life for me was looking very different. I, I knew that I didn't want to be in that private banking environment where we were chasing sales, you know, targets. And it, it's a very different discussion and a very different interaction that we were having with clients. I wanted a deeper um, sort of connection with clients. I wanted a different um, connection with clients and I wanted to choose. I wanted to pick and choose the, the people that I wanted to work with for a number of reasons. And I knew that this, the space that I was occupying at the time was, was not going to be that space for me if, if that was the thinking. And so, um, yeah, to cut a long story short, um, I, I decided to quit. We, we were going to form this business. Uh, we applied for our license and we got it, um, I think just under a year after that. And that's, that's when we, that's when the scary work started, but that's when the exciting work started as well, because we're then able to really sit down and, 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 you know, write down all the important things, um, that we wanted to, all the things that we wanted to achieve in the business and, and the way that we wanted to achieve them and, and we, and, and, and with the people that we wanted to achieve it for and with, um, yeah, essentially that's, that's how Wealth Creek came to be. Oh, Gugu, for people listening, thinking about, hey, what do I need to get in place before I start that business? You just mentioned that mm. it took a really long time for that license to mm. get there. But obviously, getting applying for your license, you have to have certain things, right? You have to have a key individual. Mm. You have to have your mm. experience in place. What are the things that you had to have in place before you and your business partner said, okay, we're going to take this leap? Uh, are there things that you can share yeah. with us? Yeah, sure. Um, you mentioned that you need to be a, 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 well, you need to be appointed as a key individual in the business if you've got the relevant experience for that. And unfortunately, neither of us had that experience. So in the beginning, we actually contracted a, an external, because you can't do that. We contracted an external key individual. So somebody who had the relevant experience to run a practice. Um, and we sort of shadowed that person for a year. Um, and the FSCA allows for that. Um, we, we shadowed that person for a year. Um, so they, they were in our documentation. So we, we applied for the license with that person's, um, details as our key individual. Um, you need obviously the basics. You need a registered business, um, with the local registration, company registration here in South Africa. You need, you know, bank accounts. You need the relevant experience. So there's a certain level of experience that you need to have as a financial advisor or we were appointed representatives. Um, when we applied, um, you need certain qualifications. Um, and yeah, then you, you just need to go through the, the entire process of applying for the license. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's quite onerous. Um, it's a very thick wad of documents, um, that you, that you need to complete. Um, they need your business plan. They need your, your projected financials. They need to understand that what you are, applying for what you are trying to build is going to be something sustainable for, for the long term. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what we submitted. And as I said, it took, um, I think it took us just, just under a year, about six, seven months or so, um, before that, that license was granted to us. It sounds like there's so much work actually behind the scene and people often just say, mm -hmm. Oh, you started a business. I was speaking to someone earlier this week. Um, he's based in America and his mm -hmm. job fell or he just finished university and he was going to apply for a job, which he couldn't get in. So he decided, oh, he'll just start mm -hmm. his own financial planning business. And, you know, two months later, he was up and running. So I think part two of it sure. allows us to build <laughs> better quality businesses in South Africa. We often yeah. complain about the compliance, yeah. you know, but there yeah. is a good side to it as well. 
Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I think that that, that is the, the whole point with, with this onerous process that we engage in. They, they really are trying to make sure um, that firstly, you know what you're doing. Um, and secondly, that, that, that it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be sustainable long term. And they're trying to sift out all the, the people who are potentially taking chances and, and the people who think that they're going to make a quick buck in, in this industry. So I, as painful as it was, I, I get the logic and I support it fully. So now you've got a little bit more experience. You started this business. Was it easier to then onboard clients or deal with clients? So, you know, in, in the beginning phase of, of a business, it's always difficult because for, for two reasons. Firstly, because you're dealing with people's money. Um, it's, it's very difficult to try and convince people to give you their hard-earned cash, you know, under any circumstances. And, and even more so um, when, when you're a brand new outfit. Um, nobody knew who Wealth Creed was. We, we literally um, created our drew pictures of our of the the brand that we wanted to have that the way the name was the logo the way it was going to look nobody knew of of that business at all you know so we went out into the market and we tried to coax people into into giving us their money it's difficult and and understandably so if i didn't know who i was i'd have a very hard time handing over my money so i i i, I fully understand why people struggled with this in the beginning and, and also I just want to remind you that I didn't take any clients from my previous, um, from my previous employer, because as I said, I, I wanted to deal with a completely different look, completely different client base compared to the one that I was dealing with. So I, I literally started from scratch with people I didn't know, you know, I was introduced to people by, by friends and family and that's, and that's how it's, it's gotten to this point. So it hasn't been easy, um, particularly in the beginning, but I think we're slowly starting to see some traction and we slowly, um, you know, with a lot of work, business development work that we're doing, um, we're slowly starting to, to get some brand, brand awareness from, from the public. Yeah, I think that that transition into your own business, um, a lot of people rely on building up a client base. But what you're saying is that you wanted to have a different type of client base, the women that you mm -hmm. love to serve. What has their mm -hmm. response been, this client market that was yeah. previously, let, let's call it underserved or untapped? Um, what has yeah. the response been from your clients? It's been fabulous. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think... There's, there's a, there's quite a, there's a quote, I think by Rumi is, I think it goes, what you're seeking is also seeking you, something along those lines. And I've found that to be true, um, in, in the work that we're doing at the moment. The women that we are, are looking to bring onto, onto our books and into our business are looking for us as well. And every time it's confirmed, every time, you know, we, we sit down and have conversations with them, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the, con the, the, the comments are always, where have you been <laughs> this whole time? Because, you know, they, I, I get goosebumps every time I think about it, actually, and every time I have those interactions, because women, the women that we meet or have been looking for this kind of business have been looking for us as well. So it's been, it's been great. Well, it's great to hear that match between the two. And what are the services that you offer them? Would this be full on financial planning? Mm -hmm. and, and if so, yeah, like, so why we, was that part of the, the market not previously served? So yeah, we do, we do everything. We do, um, investments, pre and post retirement investments. Um, we do risk management. So things like your life covers, disability benefits, funeral policies and a, and we do some estate planning and a very big part of, of our offering is, is financial literacy and education. Um, there hasn't, the, the feedback that we keep getting is that there hasn't been a lot of emphasis in, in, in the financial education bit 
Um, so there's, there's, I don't know what it is, but there seems to be quite a lot of, I don't know if it's shame or embarrassment from, from some of the people that we meet. Um, so, so these are professionals, by the way, just to, just to give you a picture. These are highly educated, highly experienced, um, individuals who, who earn really great salaries, um, and are doing really well in their respective careers. But when it comes to, to, to financial manage, personal financial management, there's, there's like a bit of a gap. And, and, and they always feel, a lot of them feel embarrassed or ashamed that they don't know much about personal finance. And I think that that sometimes is a hang up that that's what stops them from engaging with financial advisors because the comment is always, I'm so sorry. I haven't done much with my personal finances or I'm really, really sorry. I don't know much about my personal finances. And it's always a, you know, hang on. We're not here to judge you. We're here to give you um, the information that you need. We're here to educate and we're here to partner with you. And, and I think, I think that's, that's the letdown from, from the industry and that there isn't a massive focus on financial literacy and financial education and, and, and women, um, I don't know. I think, I think we tend to be very hard on ourselves and we feel like we need to know everything. And, and they're the ones who struggle. The women seem to struggle the most, um, um, with that aspect of personal finance. And funny enough, whenever I meet male clients, they, <laughs> they're on the opposite end of that, of that spectrum. They seem to think that they know more than, than, than the average financial advisor when it comes to matters of personal finance. So I think, I think, I think financial education is, is the big driver. Yeah. There's that expectation that. You know, just like you would go to a doctor that your medi- that your health is in perfect form. I'm wondering mm. why people feel that when they go to a financial planner, everything has to be perfect. Mm. Well, if everything mm. was perfect, you wouldn't need to go to a financial planner. Exactly. And slowly but surely exactly. starting to break those preconceived notions of everything has to be perfect and, you know, I can't start yet. What are you, What have you done in your communication to start kind of lowering those barriers so it's it's in our marketing as well um so when, whenever we send an, an email or whenever we we put out communication wherever wherever and, and it's on our website as well um we we put out a very big focus on on the financial education or financial literacy aspect of of what we do so in in other words we so we go out there and we we say to clients you don't need to know everything you know everything about about the 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 industry that you work in and and that's perfectly fine that's what should be going on in your life and and that's why we are here we we are here to to educate we're here to partner we're here to assist you with this particular aspect of your life that we that we understand you know very little about and we find that 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 often breaks down the 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 barrier or or the embarrassment or the shame that comes with with the lack of 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 knowledge when it comes to personal finances so we lead with that we say i'm here to help i'm here to educate so let's have a conversation it works really well yeah just normalizing i guess that fact that uh, this is the yeah. way we do business and this is why we started the yeah. business and i can see that golden That's- thread running um through everything that that you're doing and what you're talking about yeah no absolutely and it's it's so gratifying when whenever we engage clients um you know whenever so so a lot of the time it's not a formal um you know lesson or or, or session financial literacy session with the clients it's as and when we're interacting with the clients i i mean what i always say to clients when i meet them for the first time and, and once i've I've, once they become clients, once we've managed to convert them into clients, is that 
I'm available on WhatsApp. I'm available on email and on, on call. So if ever there's anything that you encounter, whether it's on social media, whether somebody tells you this, whatever, wherever you encounter this information, if ever you're unsure or if ever you feel pressured um, to, to get into a financial product or a service, um, just give me a call first or send me a WhatsApp. You know, I'm, I'm always available, always willing to share information. So let's just touch base on that, on that, on, in that perspective. In that on that basis before you make any any crazy decisions and that works really well so i do get a lot of whatsapps i do get a lot of emails and phone calls when people are just just want to pick my brain very quickly about something that they read or something that they heard about and and i think it it, it really is i think it's it's a nice way to to bond with with, with our clients so valuable someone that says hey i've got your back you know you don't have to make mm. these decisions on your own i yeah. was talking to Indeed. michelle hoskin yesterday about financial abuse and how they've been seeing that on the rise. You know, people controlling someone else through the use of their money, you know, not having access to that. Is that something that you see in your client base that people are struggling with, you know, especially in the financial literacy? How often do these things pop up? Okay. So the bulk of our client base is is black and female. And what we find with them is that a lot of them are looking after extended family members um, in, in one way or another whether it's it's siblings or whether it's parents or sometimes even cousins and um in in South Africa it's it's got a it's got a term that that I think has some negative connotations to it but it's called black tax so um and then there's a bit of a history with with that but essentially what what we find our clients struggle with the most is trying to sort of um manage their personal finances and and sort of meet their financial aspirations while looking after um, extended family members. And oftentimes we find that they struggle to strike the balance between the two because, um, as you can imagine, looking after another adult or two or three can can really set you back um, financially. And often when we meet the clients, there's there's always this struggle of, you know, I need to accumulate funds, whether it's in my retirement annuity or elsewhere, but also I need to put my two siblings through school or I need to help my mother build a home or family home or, or whatever the case. And that's what we see quite a lot. We, we see a lot of our clients struggling to strike the balance between their personal finances and looking after family members. And, and I think to a certain extent, you can, you can look at that depending on, um, cause the family dynamics can be quite difficult. Um, I mean, this one particular client that I'm thinking of at the moment, she's literally putting two of her younger siblings through school. She's helping to, to helping her mother build a, a home. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot for somebody to carry. And it seems to me that, that her, her family members are viewing her as an, an, an unlimited, you know, resource. And that, I think that's a form of abuse because there's a lot of the guilt that comes with that as well. You know, you've been educated by your very, your, your, your poor parents. They've sacrificed a lot to put you through school and, and whatever the case is. And now it's your turn to give back. And, and there's always this struggle between, you know, as I said, personal financial aspirations and then having to, to give back and having to look after families. And I think if, if you, if you, if you, if you were to scrutinize that with, with a lot more, more detail, it could be considered as a form of abuse to a certain extent, because some family members can be, we do find that they can be very unreasonable. So I think the dynamics are slightly different in South Africa, but I definitely think that there are various forms of financial abuse that, that we do detect. Sure. I mean, that obligation and expectation uh, sounds like it could be really heavy on someone. Mm. What are the skills that a financial planner needs to have to 
have these type of conversations? Because it sounds like you're not only helping your clients with the kind of technical budgeting and cash flow and, and obviously also financial mm. planning, but you're teaching them the skills mm. to have convers better conversations around money. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, sure. I there's one thing I'm, I've had to learn. I'm still learning. I haven't perfected the art, but, um, the, the art of listening and, and really listening. Um, what I learned from, um, the, the, the lady who introduced me to, to the world of wealth management many, many years ago. Um, you know, when we were dealing with client queries and client complaints, um, she used to say quite often, you know, often when, when clients are complaining, what they're complaining about isn't the actual issue. There's, there's something deeper or underlying that's, that's, that's resulting in this complaint. And that's what you really need to look out for or listen out for. And, and over the years, it's something that I've, I've learned to pick up to listen beyond the words that are, are spoken. It's hard because sometimes I miss it. You know, sometimes I, I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's a personality thing, but often I'm in solution mode when talking to clients because that's my job. That's the expectation that clients have of me to solve their problems. So when I'm sitting in front of a client and when I'm having a conversation with a client, I'm already thinking, how can I fix your problem? And then sometimes it happens that you miss you know, what the person is actually saying, because a lot of the time it's not in what they say, it's, it's just behind what they say, you know? So the skill that, that really is, is necessary in the work that we do is, is to really listen and to listen beyond what the person is actually saying. That's, that's the first thing. And the second, I think is, is to learn to be empathetic, to learn to put yourself in somebody else's situation and to really feel what they're feeling. Um, you know, beyond the solution, beyond trying to solve the problems, just understand what they're going through and to feel, to sit there and feel that with them. And I think once, once you've managed to do those two, once you've managed to, to listen and once you've managed to feel, you know, to sit in your clients, in your clients, to walk in your clients' shoes, I think that's when you really create a bond with a client. And then from there, they'll, they'll give you the world, you know, they'll open up and, and, and you literally will be able to manage everything of theirs. But yeah, those, those things don't come naturally to most people, but it's, it's, I think it's definitely things that you can learn. Absolutely. And you know, what you're saying is that, that deeper listening, not just to listen to what's being said, but what's not being said, I think they often mm -hmm. refer to it as a second level listening and picking up on these things yeah. what's going on in their lives i can you know i can i can imagine why someone would be a lifelong client if you have someone in mm. your back that you've got access mm. to they listen mm. to you and they help you deal with your emotions around money by showing yeah. empathy yeah. i'm just wondering if there's enough training out there for financial planners I, I think there is a bit of a rise now with more coaching orientated skills that financial planners are being taught but it's still mm. not being done on ground level. You know, it's not a requirement yeah. when you write your CFP board exam. Yeah, yeah we probably yeah, should be seeing more not. of that. Hey? We should definitely because that's that's ultimately how you get to unlock um, everything about a client. But also, it's such a difficult. I, I, I imagine it'll be a very difficult skill to teach because I mean, if if you think about it, we're here to solve people's problems, right? We're here to help. Um, we're here to find solutions. So that's that's. The, that's top of mind always, you know, when engaging with clients, when meeting with clients. But so, so the coaching aspect of it and dealing with the psyche and, and, and the emotions 
that that I think that'll always be secondary. But yes, I agree with you. I think I think there there needs to be a bigger focus and a bigger emphasis, particularly at CFP level, um, when it comes to the the softer skills um, regarding this industry. I think I think will, and I think also there there needs to be a bigger education. Firstly, for advisors and secondly, for clients as well, to let them know that actually this is what we do. You know, yes, we are here to help put financial plans together for you and all of those things. But to educate clients, to let them know that actually what I'm here to do is to manage your behavior. I'm here to help you navigate, um, you know, the complexities of your emotions when while you're invested, um, while managing your, your, your family dynamics when it comes to money, all of those things. And I think oh, that's... I think would need a a whole different curriculum, you know, not just CFP, but something something additional to that. I think if we if we wanted to do it properly. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, fortunately, it sounds like long gone are the days where it's kind of product focus. It's now mm. let's guide you through your life, and I think there are mm. still you know some firms that have a product distribution strategy and say, hey, we're here to implement mm. products, but people are mm. definitely hungry for something deeper. Um, having those yeah. those more meaningful conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I find I don't, I don't know. So so now that we've you know we've started embarking on on this journey and we we're starting to incorporate life planning, a bit of life planning into into our in, engagements with clients. I always find clients are surprised, you know, when we start talking to them on on a slightly deeper level about their aspirations, about their family, their lives. So there's, I think there's a lot of work um, that needs to be done on 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 that front. Um, as I said, to to educate both advisor and client um, about the kind of work that we should be doing with with our clients when helping them manage their money. I'd love to unpack that a little bit. The life planning that you mentioned. What would a conversation typically look like with a client? Uh, how would you phrase yeah. what what they're jumping into and what the purpose is mm. of of that conversation? When, whenever, so clients find find my details on various platforms, um, on, you know, in Google searches and things like that. So I often get emails um, from clients, and and the the first question always is, "Hi, I find I found your details wherever. I need a retirement annuity." Or I need a tax-free savings account. Or can you help me with this unit trust I need to invest? Always, you know, it's always with the product request. And and whenever we, whenever I schedule um, our first, um, you know, our, our first meet and greet and and introduce the concept of of you know setting goals of of talking about life transitions, I. It, I think it also depends on the client, but a lot of the time it's, it's always, you know, I always see the, 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 the look of shock on their faces like, Oh, okay. We do that as well. Jeez. I, I only wanted a retirement annuity. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you. There are a couple of clients who've walked away from this process because that's not, that was not the expectation. That's not what they came to me for. You know, they, they wanted a specific product and now I want to delve into their money history. And now I want to talk about their family dynamics and, a lot of people don't want to do that work, you know. So those conversations, I find, particularly in the, in the beginning when you're introducing it to them, it's always with surprise, and it's always, and it, it doesn't always sit well with people because it's it's the difficult work that people don't necessarily want to do. But um, essentially, when when I introduce um, the the topic of of life planning, um, 
I mean, I'm no expert in, in life planning. It's something that I'm also trying to sort of figure out and learn um, while advising clients. But whenever I talk to clients about it, I always say to them, you know, it'd be very easy for me to to sell you a product. In fact, you don't even need me for that product. You can self-manage. You can go on, on these various platforms and you can get a retirement annuity. You can get a tax-free savings account. It's really not that difficult. But why do you want that product? Have you actually thought about that? You know, and do you know how much needs to be committed towards that product? And ultimately, what's the bigger vision? What's the plan? What, what are you trying to solve? You know, so let's take a few steps back. Let's, let's first understand what the bigger vision is, what the, and, and, and then we'll get to the product. The product is really the last. It's, it's, it's just implementation that, and that, as I said, you can do on your own. And it's always, a, oh, okay. <laughs> let's have that conversation. And as I said, there are a few clients and, and, I often think about those clients, um, you know, long after the interaction, but there are a few clients who walked away, um, from, 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 you know, this conversation that they, they really don't want to engage in that way. But yeah, it's, as I said, it's something that I'm also trying to, to introduce to, to clients. And it's sometimes it works really well. And, and, and sometimes it's just, it's just confusing for, for certain clients because that's not the expectation. That's not what they think we do. I think your approach and your demeanor is spot on for this type of work. You just have that sense of being able to calm someone and talk them through the the thinking, uh, which is brilliant. <laughs> I want to commend yeah. you on that. Thank so you. The clients that have left, you know, obviously we feel bad when a client leaves, but you've made, it mm-hmm. sounds like you've made peace with that saying, hey, this is not a person that's right for our business. Look, it's difficult because obviously we, we're running a business. And the more clients we get on our books, the better. But um, I'm also quite adamant, and I've, I've mentioned this to my business partner as well. I was like, I don't want to work with just anybody. You know, there's a particular, there's a particular person in mind that I want to engage, and and I think it's sustainable long term. Those are the kind of people that we'll be able to maintain relationships with, and and not just that, but enjoy. You know, enjoy the process of working with those individuals, and and it works both ways. I think people who buy into into our processes, who buy into our business, who buy into us, um, have to have to enjoy, have to have a great experience and, and vice versa. We need to enjoy our interactions with them as well. It's not just about the money. Yes, the money would be great. You know, if if I mean I if I had a magic wand it would solve all our financial um constraints overnight. It would be quite easy, but the, I think that's that's a short that's the short view. I think the long-term view is is working with people who want to work with you, working with clients who buy into the kind of work that you that you do, the kind of practice that you are building, and have a long-term vision, similar long-term vision um, as as you do. And it's hard, <laughs> but I, I I think I feel it in my gut that I think it's it's the right approach. Definitely has to be mutually beneficial. Eh? It can't just be mm. all the benefit for mm. the financial planner or all the benefit for the yeah. client. Uh, it has to be yeah, mutually absolutely. beneficial. What is the vision for Wealth Creed? Like, where do you see this business ten years from now? We we definitely want to create a far bigger platform than 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 what we're currently running at the moment. Um, both from a client perspective, but also from um, an advisor perspective. Um, as, as you know, there aren't a lot of women, um, in, in this industry. Um, and there aren't a lot of black women, um, doing what we do. So our, our bigger vision and our bigger mission really is to, is to create a platform where we'll, we'll train, we'll mentor, we'll, we'll teach, um, sort of younger, 
financial advisors, financial planners, um, in, in sort of the right ways of, of managing clients, of constructing portfolios, of having deeper, deeper conversations with clients and really creating a, and, and sort of changing the, the narrative when it comes to the world of financial advisory, because at the moment we actually have a very bad rap, the industry, um, in general, because, because of all the bad apples that, that people keep encountering out there. I mean, I'm, I'm on social media quite a bit and oh, the way that our industry is spoken about is, is actually scary. It's sad. And, and it's, 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 it's largely due to the people who have very little to do with our industry. You know, the fly by nights, the, the ones who aren't properly registered, who are not doing the right things for, for, for clients. And I think our, our, our vision for, for Wealth Creed is to help change that narrative and to help to, to show people who look like us that financial planning from a client perspective is, is for them. And secondly, as a career, it's, it's a viable, you know, career, long-term sustainable career for, for women, for black women who look like us and not just, just, just black women, but I think, I think women in general, we, we have a particular passion, um, for, for, for the education, the emancipation of, of women financially, um, both as clients, I think, and as advisors. And it's something that we, that we see, um, you know, we see our business doing in the long term. So we, we definitely want a, a much bigger practice that, that incorporates a very long list of, of, of very high caliber, highly skilled, highly educated female financial advisors. That's a lovely vision, Gugu. And I can see, you know, how that will play out and it's starting to play out already for the, for the younger mm. Gugu that had that, uh, that fear and anxiety around the future career what would you say to her looking back now <laughs> sure um i'm not the most patient of people um things need to happen yesterday for me <laughs> and so when i started out in the industry i just oh gosh i just didn't understand why i had to do admin you know for for i mean i thought of myself as quite educated quite accomplished and I was stuck, you know, updating reports and drawing statements and things like that. But I, I now see how necessary um, all of that was, that that entire process, there was method to, to the madness there. Um, if I had the opportunity to talk to myself then, I, I would tell myself to just relax. You're never going to have the right kind of experience um, overnight. Um, the, this is, this, this industry requires patience and it requires you to have a very long-term view. I mean, it's, it's going on 14 years for me now and never in a million years did I think that I would land in this position and never did I think that it would take this long, um, for me to, to start feeling comfortable, um, about sitting in front of clients, about advising clients, um, and, and, you know, having the right kind of conversations with clients, all of all, the last 13 odd years have been necessary to get me to this point. And me 13 years ago, I, I never, ever would have envisaged, um, this path. So I would definitely tell myself to relax and just to enjoy the ride. Seth Godin talks about it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. So for people looking in <laughs> from the outside, <laughs> just sees the success. They don't see the yeah. hard grind. Going through yeah, the administration, you know, uh, absolutely disappointed clients, and you see difficult it, conversations, and you see it a lot. You see it a lot with these young individuals. I mean, not just from our industry, but but from across the board. Um, you know, these young individuals who are superstars, 
uh, they 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 they've gotten really high marks in school and they've gotten their first jobs and they they really think they should be CEOs and you know um, running businesses and and I think the attitude's correct but I think I think experience that nothing buys experience you can never buy experience and it's just one of those things that you just have to go through you know it's it's the long and slow road but it's it's necessary i'm wondering how the mentors in your life has helped you to shape that vision yeah i so i i've i've been so i've been really inspired um by by the the women who and and <laughs> quite interestingly they both they both women so the lady who introduced me to wealth management her name is sunal she had a particular way of dealing with clients she she very feminine um and you know in a very male dominated environment and as i said we i started out in a stockbroking business and the bulk of the clients were male but she she was never hard you know never never abrasive you know not not what you would expect in a very male dominated environment and and it's something that i've always always um taken particular note of um watching her have conversations with clients, watching her being soft and gentle and, and for that being okay, you know, because it's, it's by no means a, a sign of weakness in, in, in any way, but she arrived as, as she was and, and, and was very successful in, in, in managing her client relationships. And I've learned, I'd say the bulk of, of, of my, my skill set, uh, the experience that I've had, I've learned a lot, most of it from her. And it's, it's something that I carry with me today and that I, I don't have to transform myself in order to be acceptable, um, to the clients that I'm dealing with. Um, it's, it's, it is what it is. My, my other mentor is, is Kim, who's also quite, also quite a feminine, um, individual. Um, you know, she also is quite a colorful personality. Um, both, both women have, have a way of engaging people, um, of having really, really interesting, they, all, they, they both want to get, you know, into the minds and the hearts of, of the clients that they deal with. And it's really quite, quite interesting to watch both women, you know, interact with individuals. And it's definitely shaped, um, and made me comfortable as, as a financial advisor, as, as showing up as who I am. You know, I, cause as I said to you, sometimes we do deal with people who, who look very different to us. And, and the inclination or the temptation is to, is to assimilate, right? Is so that you're acceptable to those people. And that's what I struggled with for the longest time in, in, in my previous, in my previous job is that it, it, it felt very forced and I felt like I had to assimilate and I felt that I had to be like those people. And I've actually come to a point, I've actually realized that that's not necessarily the case. And I don't think it would, that, that realization ultimately would not have come had it not been my exposure for my exposure to, to these two women. And I think, I think mentorship is, is, is necessary for that. Um, it's necessary for the perspective. It's necessary for the guidance. It's necessary for, for so many things. There's so many things that I think I would have missed. And there's so many things that would not have happened had it not been um, for, for, for being mentored by these two women. So it's something that I, I feel very passionate about and which is why, um, which is why we want to do the same in our business for, for other women to, to show them that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be something that you're not in order to be successful in this business. You really just need to learn what you need to learn, be experienced, do your best and show up as you are. And, and it's very possible for you to, to, to make it work. 
Wow, Gugu, it strikes me that you know, that sense of being authentic and how you've aligned your clients to who you are instead of saying, oh, I'm going to wear all these multiple hats and almost be like a chameleon to serve any possible client. Because we, you know, we, we're trained to actually do that. I think people coming yeah. through a sales, any sales training tries to say, yeah. oh, but you need to change to meet your client yeah. instead of yeah. saying, is this the right client for me and for my business? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in the beginning, it's hard, you know, when you're, when you're learning and when, as I said, when there's the pressure to, 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 to make targets and to bring on sales, naturally you will end up doing that because there, there is that pressure. But I think, I think that's why it was so necessary for us to, to craft a business, um, and to have the space, the, and, and, and the autonomy to do that because then, you know, then you're able to, 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 to say, you know, what you're comfortable doing, what you're not comfortable doing, who you're comfortable dealing with. It becomes a lot easier from that perspective. But when you're working in an environment where there's a lot of pressure, I, it's, it's kind of hard not, not to fall into that trap. And so I think, I think we also need to be gentle with ourselves and with newcomers who are, are stuck in, in, not stuck, but individuals who are introduced to to businesses where they they have to assimilate sometimes it, it really is it's a means of survival and and unfortunately we have to go through that sometimes yeah that's so valuable just framing that correctly saying this is a learning opportunity and it gets mm. you ready for when you can put your own signature and your own footprint um, on the financial mm. planning world mm. and you know there are certain practices um you know, big corporates that, that, that are flexible enough that do give their employees the autonomy to, to, to do that. There aren't many. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, everybody needs to be an independent financial advisor. I don't think that's the route for everybody. And I think that needs to be said. Um, in fact, I've had this conversation with, with, um, another female counterpart contemporary who, who works for a, a big bank. And she, she's often said to me that she, she feels the pressure, you know, to go out on her own because everybody's doing it. And, and I said to know, you know, if, if the space that you're in allows you, you know, to, to a certain extent to, to have that freedom, to have the flexibility, to be you, to be able to craft, um, an, a, a, a practice, you know, a business that, that suits you on, on a number of fronts, then, then by all means stay there. You know, but if, if really you're, you're at the point, I think that I was at a few, a few years ago where there is no other way, but to go the independent route, then, you know, then that's, that's what you need to do. But, but there definitely isn't a requirement for all of us to be independent, to craft our own, our own practices. I don't think, I don't think that's the point. Yeah. Independence sounds like it's this easy fix. Uh, if only mm -hmm. I'm independent, then everything else mm -hmm. will be fine. But actually... You know, mm -hmm. I agree with you that independence in some scenarios is important, but you can mm -hmm. still make a massive impact in someone's life yeah. through being yeah. a tied agent or sitting with a yeah. larger corporate. Absolutely. Agreed with that. Well, Gugu, this shows all about the positive evolution of financial advice. And I can see how that's shining through in everything that you're doing and the passion that you have. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. If anyone wants to reach out, you know, colleagues or potential clients, what's the best way to get hold of Gugu? Um, I think email is best, uh, but I'm also on social media. So I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, Gugu Sidagi. I'm on, what's the other one? Twitter, <laughs> Gugu Sidagi. And I'm on email, gugu.sidagi at wealthcreed.com. 
And um, if, if you forget any of those details, you can just go to our website, which is wealthcreed.com, and um, you'll find my details in the contact page. Thank you so much for your time today. It was brilliant to have you on the show. I'm sure we'll have another session um, in the future. But <laughs> I want to wrap it up at there. Thank you so much, Louis. Thank you for the invitation. It was lovely chatting to you. Thank you, Guru. Mm-hmm.